Good morning. I've got a couple of things I need to make you aware of before I get into the sermon. Um, we really need some people who are willing to serve um, the body of Christ here on the video team. And uh, there's, there's two areas in particular where it's needed. One is to run these screens. Say, so, well, we've got people running these screens. Yes, and they're the same people every week. And so running these screens. Uh, and then the other is uh, working with, with the cameras. You say, well, I don't know anything about this. If you are qualified to look at a television screen, if, you, if you're qualified to do that, and if you can point something in the direction that you're told to point it in, then congratulations. You can do this. You can do this thing. Yeah, we can train you. Uh, and this is a serious need. It really is. And so if you would like to serve the body of Christ in that way, if you'll either see Nathan Owen or me uh, after the service, um, we'd love to to get you up and running in it. Secondly, um, this Friday and Saturday night, there's going to be a uh, 80s mystery dinner theater thing that is going to be... I knew he was going to do this. Uh, <clears throat> an 80s mystery dinner uh, theater thing that is going to be a... Uh, it's going to be for... Who's it going to be for? I'm, tr I'm, I'm trying to remember now. Go away. Okay. <laughs> Jesse and Sista, that's who it's for in Zimbabwe. Uh, it'll be a lot of fun. Now, here's the deal. They can't do this unless they at least have 50 people signed up. Each night. Okay. So. Alan will be out in the uh, out in the foyer uh, following the service, and I encourage you to to sign up and come and do it. It'll be fun. I mean, that guy's going to be in it, and uh, it's something that y'all to do. Speaking of fun, last uh, week, or actually, I guess it was week four last. Now, the youth went on a camp youth retreat, and uh, okay, okay, that's enough. And we we've uh, we got a video uh, to show you a little bit of it. So let's have it. It's raining. All right, well, let's go. We're going. Kirk had a power hand. Oh, we all sort of yeah. unraveling my brain. <laughs> These are your cabins. Ah! I did it. It is very rude to show up on time. I like chocolate. Don't know where they are. I'm tired. Looks like fun. 
this year we're talking about living drenched and we uh, are now in the middle of a series about living drenched worship because uh, it's be- being saved is one thing living a full drenched life in Christ is something else again and so that's what we're what we're trying to equip you to do and if you're going to do that then worship has got to be a very important component of of your life would you stand with me we're going to read a passage from revelation today as we talk about the center of worship then i saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain standing at the center of the throne encircled by the four living creatures and the elders the lamb had seven horns and seven eyes which are the seven spirits of god sent out into all the earth he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne and when he had taken it the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb each one had a lamp harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense which are the prayers of God's people and they sang a new song saying you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation you have made them to be a kingdom and priest to serve our God and they will reign on the earth Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne, and the living creatures, and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the life and the power that are in your word. I pray that you would be present through the Holy Spirit to anoint the things that I say and the things that we hear so that we might find life in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As you um, would have heard last week, if you were here, worship actually comes from the idea of uh, the term worthiness, uh, worth, worth. Ship uh, is worship, and and some are worthy of respect and honor and uh, and admiration, but uh, not necessarily worthy of worship. So it's okay to respect and honor and and admire as long as we don't elevate to worship. In fact, there are those we should respect and admire and honor. Romans thirteen seven says, "Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes." Hallelujah. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. There, there are those, there are def- different levels here that, uh, that we would accord to people and should accord to people because the Bible tells us to do it. Uh, a couple of examples. Honor your father and your mother. 
so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Uh, we're supposed to honor our father and mother. Sometimes that's easy. Sometimes that's not so easy. Uh, but it's it's a blessing. It's a great blessing. When I came here in 1988, uh, my dad had been pastoring the church, and he had been here for 12 years, which at the time seemed like a long time. But that's 27 years ago, and so I guess maybe it is a long time. I don't know. Depends on depends on your age. And uh, and my dad is a great guy. I mean, those of you who who knew him, I I, I don't really know anybody uh, who knew my dad that that didn't like him, except. For me, part of the time, because he was my dad, you know, and that's just how it rolls, because uh, you know where to push each other's buttons and, and all that business. And so I, I, I have to say I had some qualms. I had some apprehensions about coming to the church where he had been and where he was going to stay. And uh, but the Lord just totally settled that in my spirit. He said, OK, you know, you've got this verse here. Honor your father and mother. And. uh you know, batting 300 is okay in baseball, but but probably isn't all that great in this particular case. So I'm going to give you another chance. Uh, you're going to be at the same church with your dad, and I want you to honor him the whole time that you're there. And 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 your mom. And was, had my mom for 16 years here, had him for 20 years, and it was just such a blessing. It was just, it was... I'm just telling you, there was just something inside of me that felt so good about just getting to give honor to them. Uh, so anyway, that's somebody to whom honor is due. Um, one more category here in talking about uh, leaders in the church. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And if you've gone here very long, you know that we're not really the kind of church that um, places a lot of emphasis on titles and and necessarily tries to hold people up. You know that uh, you know if you call me pastor, I'm cool with that. Uh, in fact, that's that's fine. And if but you know if you call me Ronnie, I'm cool with that. I'm, just don't call me Al or Sue or one of those things. You know, I mean, I I don't have I don't have a problem with that. Uh, but at the same time, I, I want to say I want to say something about this because um, there are there are camps within the church where there's where there's teaching that we don't really need these people. We don't really need need them because we're all priests of God, and the truth of the matter is we are all priests of God. If you belong to the body of Christ, if you belong to Christ, you are a priest, a royal priesthood, as a matter of fact. But that doesn't mean that you don't need a pastor or teacher. You don't need apostles and prophets and, and evangelists. It doesn't mean that those don't exist because those are totally different things. Priests are anointed to do two things that regular people don't get to do. One of the things that they're anointed to do is offer sacrifices. And you are not only anointed to offer sacrifices, you have been instructed to by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. That's your reasonable act of worship. So you, you have that, that charge and that anointing as a priest. The second thing that priests can do 
that regular people don't get to do is they have access to God. And under the Levitical priesthood, people didn't just go straight to God. They went to the priest and the priest went into the holy place and the priest got answers and things like that. But you have been instructed to come boldly before the throne of grace. And so, yes, you're a priest. I believe in the priesthood of all believers. But that doesn't mean that you don't need a shepherd. Doesn't mean that you don't need a teacher. It doesn't mean that you don't need other leaders in the body of Christ who've been anointed to do various things and that they should be held in regard and love. And, and I know that one of the problems is, uh, and one of the reasons why people sometimes rebel against that is because there are leaders in the church who just insist on, you better call me pastor. You better call me apostle. You better call me so and so. And you know what? I got a big problem with that. Because if you've got to tell me that that's what you are, then I, I, my, my, my initial reaction is, no, you're not. You wouldn't have to tell me if you were. I, I, I'll find out. Just, just give me some time and, and I'll find out. But anyway, so, you know, honor your father and mother. Uh, respect those who are, who, who are leaders over you in, in the church. Uh, first Peter, Peter also chimes in here. He says, show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. Can I just say, show proper, that, that a mark of a genuine Christian is someone who is respectful of other people? Well, whether I can say it or not, I just did. <laughs> Think about that the next time you decide to Get your, get your guns out and start firing, metaphorically speaking, at somebody else. Show proper respect for everyone. Christians are respectful people. Disciples are. So we tend in this culture to not respect or honor those we should and raise to the level of worship those people and those things that are possibly not even worthy of honor. Much less worship. Focus is very important on worship. Where, where, where it's going to be focused is important. I rarely talk about uh, current events except to help people stay awake uh, so that they'll go, oh, yeah, I know about that. Because uh, if I talk too much about it, they've got an opinion, and, and that opinion will start taking them somewhere else besides where the attention needs to be focused. If, if, and if you really want to know, you know, about some kind of issue that's going on, and you say, well, pastor, you need to teach us about this, come and talk to me about it. Uh, you know, I, I might not tell you what I think, but I'll help you find out what the Bible uh, has to say about about certain things. But our focus is real important on worship. Now, last week I mentioned that it had been years since I'd had anybody ask me, how do I hear the voice of God? And I was thinking this week that there's also something that I used to hear quite a bit of encouragement about that I don't hear any, that I rarely hear any discussion about anymore, and that is, Prepping yourself to come to worship. Pre preparing yourself in the car, in the parking lot, maybe even after you... May, here's, a, here's a concept. Maybe when you wake up that morning and know that you're going to worship, begin to tune your mind toward God. When I was in high school, I, uh, I played football. <laughs> and uh, and I, was, I was reminded of that this week. I was talking to... Uh, I was talking to Landon, actually, who so I was talking to, and I said, yeah, I was talking about I played football in high school. He said, you never say anything about it. You never mentioned it. Well, I wasn't that good. 
but I wasn't that bad either, but I played football. And here's the, here's the thing before we, before game, let's say the game started at seven 30, you know, I did not arrive. The team did not arrive at seven 20 or seven 25. And they sure didn't arrive at seven 40. I didn't arrive, you know, the last bit. We got there an hour or two hours or something ahead of time. You know, we got, we got in the locker room, you know, we put our gear on, we taped up everything. We went out on the field, you know, we did some exercises, you know, some quickness thing. I'm quick, man. Uh, we did, we did some quickness things. We got loosened up, you know, we got ourselves ready to go out there. And when it's time for kickoff, we were ready to play. A worship experience, a worship service is more important than a ball game. And if you aren't prepared when you get here, you might not ever actually get into worship. You're, you're, and, I'm, and I'm not talking about you might not dance. I'm talking about your mind might never actually engage and turn toward the Lord and, and begin to focus on Him. So it's, it's important. The focus is important. Liturgical worship is structured in a way that uh, that deliberately shuns what's happening now. I mean, that's not on the agenda at all to focus on the eternal, and it's not it's not necessarily a bad thing uh, that they do that. Now, if you if you want to get if you want to get married in a liturgical setting, you know, one of those beautiful churches and have one of those kind of weddings, uh, I'll tell you what's not going to happen. They're not going to say, "What do you want to do." They're not going to say, do you like these vows? They're not going to say, oh, would you like to have Taylor Swift sing at your wedding? You know, <laughs> ain't going to happen because it's not about you. That's what they're going to say. It's not it's not about you. This is this is a sacrament, a holy sacrament before before God. Uh they have the liturgical year, you know, and, and I used to think growing up, I'm but man, that seems so boring. I mean, every year, every year, they just do the same things over and over. You know, they, they do Lent. They talk about Easter. They talk about Pentecost. They talk about Trinity. They talk about um, Advent. They, it just kind of keeps going round and round. Uh, and that's exactly what they do. And it's very intentional so that every year you'll, you'll, you'll hit those things. Uh, we allow a little more leeway than uh, strict liturgy. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that, because that's absolutely right for some people. But we allow a little more leeway. All liturgy was new at some point. Um, in the uh, Anglican Church, they used the Book of Common Prayer, which came out in uh, first came out in uh, 1549, which was only 466 years ago, which. Sounds like a long time, but when you consider that Christianity is 2,000 years old, then <coughs> there was a long... When, in fact, the guy, who, uh, the guy who was first involved with, with putting it out, Thomas Cramner, he was actually burned at the stake for, as a heretic. And part of the reason was because of the things that he wrote in that book. Uh, so it's, it's dangerous to be a trendsetter when it, when it comes, to, uh, when it comes to, to worship modes. Uh, and we also believe that, that public worship should not be solely focused on the other to the exclusion of 
of making a connection with the now. There, there's a line somewhere in there. It needs to be kind of a combination of both. I was telling you last week, the writer of Hebrews said, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, but instead consider how you can encourage one another on toward love and good works. When I was, uh, when I was a, a, a kid, child, I don't remember how old I was. I remember hearing a poem, being read a poem that impacted me for ministry. I didn't know at the time that that's what I was doing. I just thought it was a neat poem. But it impacted my ministry philosophy, and it's called The Preacher's Mistake. And the poem went like this. The parish priest of austerity climbed up in a high church steeple to be near the Lord so that he might hand God's word down to his people. When the sun was high, when the sun was low, the good man sat unheeding sublunary things. From transcendency was he forever reading. And now and again, when he heard the creak of the weather vane a-turning, he closed his eyes and said, Of a truth from God I am now learning. And in sermon script, he daily wrote what he thought was sent from heaven and dropped it down on the people's heads two times, one day in seven. In his age, God said, come down and die. And he cried out from the steeple, where art thou, Lord? And the Lord replied, down here among my people. And so that kind of had an influence on me, an impact on me in the way that ministry should happen. So some of our worship time is devoted to horizontal focus. I, I, don't, I don't have a problem with Wayne saying, hey, turn to the person next to you and, and sing this at them. You know, hey, it's, it's God's great. It's getting better. You know, believe in God, whatever it is that, we're, we're, that he's wanting us to sing at each other. And you should do that. You should actually make eye contact with somebody in the room. There's power in there. You don't, you don't have to, you don't have to scream at them or, or, you know, do anything. Just look at them. Look at somebody else beside me right now. Did any of you see anybody better looking? Just, just wondering. But the most important thing is the most important thing. And so let's talk about Jesus, shall we? Because that's the most important thing. There is danger in receiving worship. Worship, uh, in fact, there's danger just in, there's, it doesn't even have to be worship. There's danger and people telling you how good you are. You know, uh, have you ever had anybody tell you how great you are? I, I hope you have. Uh, or even how okay you are. <laughs> you know, something like that. Uh, you know, there's danger in, in reading your own press clippings, especially if they're good. And, and thinking, But receiving worship is even far more dangerous than that. Over in, uh, in Acts, I believe it is. No, I know it is. Chapter 12. Uh, Herod, King Herod, was uh, he went to Caesarea and he had uh, he'd been having some conflict with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they um, realized that Herod actually controlled their food supply, so they decided we got to make nice with this guy. 
So they met him in Caesarea, and he got up to make a speech before them. And as he got up to make the speech, the people began to cry out, This is the voice of a god! And Herod began to go, Yeah, that sounds pretty good. I I think it maybe is. And the scripture says that God struck him with a very painful disease. And he shortly thereafter died because he accepted worship. That wasn't due him. And the, the, the flip side, a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of the good guys understood that very well when Peter went to Cornelius' house. Cornelius had been praying, and an angel appeared to him and said, send for this guy named Simon Peter. I mean, who, who do angels talk about? That, that's, that's a pretty big deal. And when Peter came, Cornelius fell at his feet to begin to worship. And Peter went, no, no, <laughs> no, please, get, get, get up. That's not appropriate. This isn't. That's not what I am at all. I'm just a man. Paul and Barnabas, when they were, uh, when they were on their first missionary journey, they went to Lystra. And as they, and as they got to Lystra, there was a man there who was, who was crippled, apparently well known in the town, and the Lord healed him. And when the Lord healed him, the, the town just went crazy. They went, the, the gods have come down among us. They had a temple to Zeus there, and they decided that Barnabas was Zeus because he didn't say much, and Paul was, was Hermes because he was the messenger and did, did all the speaking, and they, and they actually brought animals out to sacrifice to them. And the scripture says that when Paul and Barnabas saw what they were doing, they tore their clothes. They tore their clothes, they ran in the middle and said, no, wait, wait a minute. You got this all wrong. We, and and even, even with that, it said that they almost were unable to keep the people from sacrificing to them, but they did keep the people from sacrificing to them, and they'll let you know you know, how, how fickle popularity is. It, it was only a couple of days later that the same people who wanted to sacrifice to him tried to kill Paul by stoning him to death. Hosanna to the son of David. Well, let's crucify him. It's kind of fickle stuff. Even angels... In Revelation, toward the end of the book, in chapter 19, John was finally so overcome with the things that were revealed to him that that he fell at the feet of the angel talking to him to worship him, and, and the angel said, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you, with your brothers and sisters who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. That's who you should worship. So, worship's dangerous to receive. Jesus received worship. A lot. It even started when he was a baby. The Magi came from the east. And it says, on coming into the house, they saw the child with his mother. And they bowed down and they worshipped him. Say, well, he was a baby. He couldn't do anything about it there. Well, there were plenty of other times. Over in uh, Matthew 8, it talks about a a leper coming to Jesus. And worshipping him and saying, Lord, if if you will, you can heal me. And oftentimes people, you know, will look at that passage and kind of focus on the fact that he said, if you will, and they kind of go, eh, didn't have much faith there. Well, he got healed. So, but the, the, to me, the important thing is he worshiped him, bowed down and, and worshiped him. That's, that's not the only time either. Uh, in Matthew 9, uh, <clears throat> he, uh, the, a synagogue ruler, a guy named Jairus, whose daughter you probably know about, Jairus' daughter, came to him and worshiped him, saying, my daughter is even now dead, but come and lay your hand upon her and she'll, she'll live. And, and she did. But he came in and he worshiped Jesus. And 
not, not only there, when Jesus, uh, in Mark 5, when Jesus went to uh, the Gadarenes, the town of the Gadarenes, and the, the demoniac, uh, the guy that he cast all the demons, the legion of demons out of, and they went in the pigs, and they ran in the water and drowned themselves. When the, when the demoniac saw him, Jesus from afar, he, he, he ran and he fell down and he worshipped him. And that's not the only time either. Uh, the Canaanite woman, the Syrophoenician woman, whose daughter was demon-possessed, she came and she worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. And, and the disciples, on various occasions, it talks about them directly worshipping him. After he got through walking on the water and he got in the boat, it says, then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you're the Son of God. And when he ascended into heaven, uh, that time he met with them, it says, when they saw him, they worshipped him, and, and some doubted. And after he was resurrected from the dead and the women met him at the tomb, it says, suddenly Jesus met them, greetings, he said, and they came to him and clasped his feet and worshipped him. There's not one single instance in all of Scripture of people worshipping Jesus and Jesus going, no, don't, no, no, don't do that. Now, why? Because he's worthy. <coughs> Excuse me. Because he is worthy. And why is he worthy? You see, Jesus, Jesus isn't just another great teacher. He's not just a, a religious leader. He didn't just start a religion. He's not just a, a holy man. He's not just an example. He is so much more. Colossians. 1, 15 through 20. <coughs> the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Five things. There are five things here that... Tell us that he's worthy. And the first one is this. He is the image of the invisible God. I shared, I don't know if it was last week or week before last, uh, about the fact that God is invisible. I think it was week before last. And I shared about um, Father Ray talking about teaching on Trinity Sunday. Uh, many of you probably will remember that little story, but it, it bears repeating. He, uh, he was going to do an object lesson, so he brought three kids up. He was doing a children's sermon, and he put a fedora on one of them, and he put a ball cap on one of them, and he put a sack over the other one's head and said, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And then he said, this doesn't actually work. This isn't actually a good explanation of the Trinity. And, uh, and one of the kids in the back said, you know, hey, why don't you put Jesus in the front and the other two behind, and then we can just look at Jesus and know what they're all like. And... That's the way it is. He is the image of the invisible God. Uh, over in, it's not just Colossians that says it. The writer of Hebrews, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. 
sustaining all things by his powerful word. Over in John chapter 14, the the night that he was betrayed, Jesus was telling the disciples that he was going away. And he was telling them that he was going to the Father. And he said, you know, you know the Father. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. That'll be enough for us. Jesus answered and said, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, and, and you, can, you can almost hear the, the pathos in his voice as he's saying that. Don't you guys get it? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? You know, our prayers sometimes are just a hot mess. And, uh, and I actually... I. It used to bother me, and then I realized, no, it's cool. This is okay. You know, when people go, you know, Jesus, Father God, uh, Father, thank you for dying on the cross for us. You know, um, Jesus, Father. You know, and I was kind of going, okay, this sounds a little mixed up, but of course it does. We can't explain the Trinity. And when we talk about Jesus, we're talking about the Father anyway. It just, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to get into weird theology, but I'm just saying, you know, it, it sometimes our, our, our prayers sound a little muddled, but that's fine because He is the visible image of the invisible God. He is the exact representation of God's glory to us. He is the one that we're supposed to look at and worship as God. He's also worthy because he created everything and he holds everything together. Hebrews 1-2 says, through whom also he made the universe. He's talking about the sun. And over in in John 1-3, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And regardless of what you think of the universe... And all of the moral questions that come along with life, that sin is introduced. The one who could create all of this. The one who has the power to hold this all together. Is worthy of worship. I mean, this is, this is a big deal. I, I, I was going to bring some statistics, but you've heard them. I mean, uh, and, and they're too big to know what they mean anyway. Quite frankly, when you get down to it, I mean, when you go, okay, our, uh, the, the earth is a, is a little, little ball in our solar system and our solar system is a little speck in the, in the Milky Way and the Milky Way is a little speck in the universe and there may even be more universes than, than, than just this one that we've got. Uh, and you know, I, I, one, one place I heard, I think it, well, I don't remember where it was. It doesn't matter because I'm just, you know, I don't. These numbers are so big; it just feels like people are making them up anyway. You know, there are more galaxies than you've got cells in your body. Okay, well, that's that's great. How do you know that? You know, and 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 really, what we can see is only four percent of everything that's out there anyway. The the one who could create that, the one who has the power to hold that all together. I mean, just our our puny little sun out there, and all of the. The, the nuclear fission and, and, and fusion and, and stuff that goes on there. I, I mean, that's a puny thing to him. The one who's got the power to hold this all together and create all these things is somebody who's worthy of worship. 
And he's the one who did that. And all of the fullness of God dwells in him. Love, light, joy, wisdom, provision, power, eternity, all of these things, the fullness of all of these things are his, and they, and they all dwell within him. Now, you know, I know that, that there's, there's some, ba- I don't, I don't, there's so much I don't know. I don't even know why I bother to listen to myself sometimes. Yes, there are bad entities that seem to have power. And, and they do have power. And I don't know why he let them have it. And you don't know why either. But I know where the source of all power comes from. I know where it originates. I know who it belongs to and who it's going back to. More importantly. And not only are all of these things sourced from him, you. You find your fullness in him. Colossians 2, 8 and 9 says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ you have been given, brought to fullness. When I was in my late teens, on into my my mid-twenties, I was a runner. And I don't mean that I got up each morning and did five miles. I mean, I was, I was a runner. I was running away from, from, from God and the things of God. And, you know, I mean, I mean, sin, I just needed to go out there and have some of it. That's, that's how I felt. You know, that's truth of the matter. I'm, I'm just being honest here. And, but from my age, from where I am right now, I, I think, now I'm not making excuses for myself. But I, I think I was, you know, I was just trying to find out who I was. Really. And I see people running all the time, especially in that age group. So, you know, be careful. Keep going to youth camp. Yeah. Uh, but I see people running and I understand that they're really just trying to figure it, figure it out. They're really just trying to figure out who am I? What? Why, why am I here? What, what will fill me up? What will make this worth it? And I know this. I don't know what you've been called to be. But I know that you will never find out who you are outside of him. Because all of the fullness of God dwells in him. And it's only in him that you find fullness. You... Once you find it, you may not look like me. You may not look like this. You may, you may look very different, but that's the only place you're going to find it. Who you are is in Christ. It's the only place you can find that, that fulfillment, that, that fullness, that richness that your soul is so hungry for. And that you try to fill up with so many substitutes that just don't work. And so he is worthy because all the fullness of God dwells within him. And he's worthy because he sacrificed himself 
to reconcile all things. As I was saying during communion, wouldn't work for just anybody to do that. Wouldn't work for me to do that. Wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't work for Bruce to do that. Wouldn't, wouldn't work for Barbie to do that. All that. Uh, we have this image that the father, you know, has these lightning bolts in his hand and he's getting ready to strike and Jesus went, no, wait, I'll do it. I'll take it. That ain't, that ain't how it happened at all. That's not the story. No, the story that the Bible tells is that God so loved the world. God so loved you. That he turned to his son and said, I need you to do something. It's one thing. It's one thing for you to think about Jesus loving us so much that he goes, you know, man, I, you know, I, I, I love Seth so much. Father, I'll go to the cross for him. It's something else to think about the father going, loving Seth so much that he goes, I'll give my son for you. I'll take him and put him there in your place. So he sacrificed. He's worthy because he sacrificed himself to reconcile all things. And he isn't just powerful and glorious and beautiful. He died for you. He died for you. And because of that, He's also worthy because he has the supremacy in everything. In everything. Because he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death upon a cross. Therefore, therefore, God has exalted him to the highest place. And given him a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess, acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And John saw it around the throne. He said, he said there were 10,000 times, 10,000 of angels. And they were, they were crying out worthy. But then every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them. Begin to cry out to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Be glory and honor and power. Because he is worthy. And he is the center. The focus point of our worship. Would you stand? With those who are going to pray with people, come forward. And if you need prayer, come. If you need Jesus in your life and he's not there, we'd like to pray with you. I mean, he, it's, it's, this, 
This glorious God who is worthy, who's done all of these things, who has a supremacy in everything. He has come to you to say, can I come in? Wow. Yeah. The, 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 the worthies of the world, you can't get into their house. But the one who truly is worthy would really love to get in yours. So if you need, uh, if you need Jesus, come. If, if, you, if there's anything, if you belong to Jesus, but you need something, you need some help with something. <laughs> my, uh, my daughter-in-law posted a picture of their fourth daughter. And apparently she got trapped in a, in a, uh, what do babies get in? Huh? A hamper. Yes, she got trapped. Babies don't get into hampers, but she got into one. And apparently she couldn't get out of it. And she started crying, help, help. And uh, Isaac and Steph were just kind of waiting. And then eventually she began to go, she's two. She began to go, Jesus, help me. I need your help, Jesus. And uh, help came. Jesus, help me. I need your help. Help will come. If you don't need to come and be prayed for, then worship with us for a few moments. We'll create an atmosphere.
to understand that you have a wonderful God and that wonderful means full of wonder. Raise your hand. Let me give you a blessing. The God and Father of our Lord and the Savior, Jesus Christ, who sent His Son into the world because we needed Him. May He empower you through the Holy Spirit and give you wisdom through the Holy Spirit to make Jesus the center point of focus in your life. And may the fullness and the freedom and the power of God flow from that center through you. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.